Welcome to Season 6 of Retrain Your Brain, 10 minutes of practical personal development to help you reframe your thinking to be your best self. This season reflects on some of the frustrations which 2020 has brought to the fore, including cancel culture, lockdown fatigue, and fear of missing out. Looking at the common reactions, as well as how we could choose to respond moving to 2021. If we have freed our mind from the negative, we've got space to focus on what will enhance our lives. This podcast continues from the last one on cancel culture, but looks at it in the context of academia and whether it's a challenge to free speech. Now, silencing can be problematic in universities, but personally, I believe, rather than argue over which speakers should or should not be invited, because in my opinion, it tends to be that unless it would break the law to have a certain speaker in, if I didn't want to listen, I wouldn't go or I would come prepared to argue and actually giving somebody with certain views a platform to express them also allows others to really question them and make them stand by those views or try and reveal to them how abhorrent those views actually are. As a lecturer I prefer to teach people how to be discerning how to read widely, how to listen and process, how to raise points and how to ask questions when something you're hearing may not sit well with you. And in the same way, that allows you as the person listening to think about the answers you're getting. And through that, you're able to form your own opinion on whether that speaker should be listened to or not and that is without cancellation. In fact, I would ask, why should someone who makes such unconscionable opinions clear not be called to question? And personally, would advocate putting them to task? Another area where cancel culture has affected universities has been professors and other such academics being seen as racist or sexist or homophobic and cancelling is that request for their works to be discredited. One such example is Steven Pinker and the New York Times in their article, Steven Pinker Harvard, New York Times 2020, opens with a very good reason to have him targeted. Steven Pinker occupies a role that is rare in American life, the celebrity intellectual. The New York Times says, raise your head above any parapet and the world is now able, especially through social media, to take aim. But what I would also argue is when you are in a position of influence, such as Steven Pinker, you have a responsibility to write with clarity. And it is certainly arguable that some of the statements in his books could be interpreted as sweeping under the carpet some very real problems with society. I'd like to think about one of his tweets as an example. He said on a tweet from 2015, which related to one of the ideas in his book, data colon, police don't shoot blacks disproportionately, full stop, problem colon, not race, comma, but too many police shootings. Now, Pinker's argument looks at possible reasons for disproportion. 
and certainly from a UK perspective where guns are not commonplace, the point that there are too many police shootings is perhaps compelling. My question comes with the need that he felt to use the prefacing statement, which was police don't shoot blacks disproportionately. Here, my question would be, why couldn't Steven Pinker have made as forceful an argument using the second hugely important, i.e. the disproportion point alone? It is his use of that lead-in that may betray his viewpoint, which at the most charitable level is possibly interpreted as tone deaf. Now, certainly one can argue that cancel culture has helped bring some of these question marks to the fore. JK Rowling too has met the same fate after her sweeping statement showing her misunderstanding of what it is to be transgender. I quote from JK Rowling, The more I've wondered whether if I'd been born 30 years later, I too might have tried to transition. The allure of escaping womanhood would have been huge, end quote. Now, this is a comment from her opinion, and that is J.K. Rowling writes about her reasons for speaking out on sex and gender issues on jkrowling.com. Now, certainly the rest is eloquently written, but for me, the fundamental issue here is that for transgender people, Gender is not a choice. And if this is what J.K. Rowling thinks, that simply if I'd been born 30 years later, I might just choose to transition to escape womanhood, then that perhaps is highly questionable and raises question marks. What cancel culture then does is it allows people to then think, well, if J.K. Rowling can't understand that, what else might she think. And like Steven Pinker, J.K. Rowling also experienced a similar trawl of her works. And through this, people started voicing that her characters, for example, in Harry Potter, the character Cho Chang was potentially racist and called the laziest racist version of Ching Chong. And this was featured in the independent.co.uk arts and entertainment books. J.K. Rowling anti-trans tweets Harry Potter racist Cho Chang. Now, one would certainly say that Stephen Pinker and J.K. Rowling should be called to clarify their opinions at the very least. And indeed, so should any person in prominence who may hold a view that is reprehensible. As I've said in my previous podcast, cancelling alone without this would simply just become a shouting match where very little change may be affected. That could actually be even more damaging. Open debate teaching people how to have it and to think critically is an important life skill, but so is giving the opportunity to explain, to change and to forgive as well. From the point of view as a psychological practitioner and teacher, I would never condemn a person who behaved badly the first time. I would simply assume they didn't know what was expected of them. The second time might be different but I would certainly say to anyone I was educating, you have a responsibility to ask if you're not sure, rather than just assume something. And of course, this whole furore about cancel culture leaving people feeling cancelled and feeling aggrieved is that it can tap into feelings of shame. And once someone feels shamed, this really helps people 
learn to make positive changes. One of the most powerful quotes I've read comes from James Gilligan, cited by John Ronson, who says, I have yet to see a serious act of violence that was not provoked by someone feeling shamed, humiliated or ridiculed. Psychologist Brene Brown says, shame is a very deep emotion. Psychodynamically speaking, when we feel shame, it cuts us so deep, right to the core. So we really just want to make it go away. And often, the fastest way to do it, not necessarily the right way, is to suppress it, deny it, ignore it, or fight back. So unfortunately, if cancel culture seeks to shame, then we're at an impasse. If it opens dialogue and discussion, we all may have a chance. Opinions, very much like emotions, actually don't do much, but choices of behaviour do. Hearing toxic opinions may well help us avoid them. Seeing reactions when such opinions are expressed badly can also teach us valuable tools for communication. But avoidance of freedom of speech and debate and you get no movement at all. So here are some things we could think about before we simply cancel or before we actually just refuse to get into conversation. Number one, don't confuse the right to be heard with the need to win. It can be very difficult, but approach life with a view to learning, not just being right. And yes, certainly be aware of what is now outdated and harmful. Pick your battles. As I say, outdated and harmful opinions do need to be called to question. But would you really care if someone's adding six plus three to make nine or using three times three or 10 minus one? Know which battles are currently worth the fight right now. If you notice you're getting aggrieved, learn about yourself and learn about the facts of the situation. Because what this does is gives us insight into some of our feelings and in unpicking them, we might be able to know the most effective way to move forward. Also, remember that silencing someone doesn't necessarily make them feel accountable or even feel wrong. In fact, they may actually feel wronged. And it can push them to band with others who agree with them and thus propagate the toxic mindset. Remember that change takes time and space and it will not happen if someone is shamed into defensiveness or they might simply appear to change and it may not be genuine. Finally, be aware that it is a skill of communication to be able to process different opinions, to grow, to learn, to alter them. And this only happens when we are exposed to them. Yes, as I say, there is a huge difference between what is outdated, between what is harmful and what is simply offering two different approaches. But we do need to allow for some of those grey areas to have the space to breathe in order to unpick whether something really is a toxic viewpoint or simply a difference of opinion. And I personally would champion the constant opportunity to grow and evolve. That's all for this session. 
For more practical tips, The Leader's Guide to Resilience is in bookshops now or try my free self-development tools, tips and guided meditations on my YouTube site, Dr. Audrey Tang or articles on my website, www.draudreyt.com and remember, choose to be awesome because that's who you 